Druids and cars go into festivals. They can chat about things. It's a druid podcast in cars. Sometimes the best parts of festivals are the discussions that surround them, reflections on what we did and heard, anticipation of what's to come, and processing what it all means in relation to our spiritual work. We wanted to help either introduce you to that phenomenon or extend it for you. That's what this is about. I'm Reverend Jana Vende. And I'm Reverend Michael J. Dangler. We're priests of Arnriach Fane and members of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. We're recording these sessions actually live in cars, actually going to festivals and events, so you will hear road noise, turn signals, and navigation prompts. But that's part of what makes it fun. So... Sit back and enjoy Druids in cars going to festivals. What are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about retirements. Retirements. Yeah. So retiring from from work and, you know, as priests, neither one of us are ready to retire. No. Uh, No. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I'm coming up on some things that I have to do at work that will, at some point, lead to my retirement there. Uh, Because I started working at a reasonably young age at my public job. And so, at some point or another, I will end up retiring from it probably earlier than I would typically retire from something because I started so young. Um, But it also then led me to start thinking about what it means to retire. And then you and I started talking and explained to Mike, who's in the back. Hello. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. Uh, about our continuing education program within ADF that all of our priests are required to do and what that means. And so we started talking about priestly retirement and what it might sort of look like. I'll be interested to revisit this in about 10, maybe 15 years. <laughs> wonder what the heck I was talking about. I think what kicked us off on this topic was... How much there, of your identity gets wrapped up in your job. Yes. And how much of that work that you, you do, what it means to you to be a priest, what it means to you to maybe even be an initiate or some other religious functionary within your own group. This doesn't necessarily have to be specific to priests. Um, but what it means to kind of leave that behind. Yeah. And move on to something different. Well, that seems especially important for y'all as priests, but also for other folks doing religious work, because it's not merely a job. Like, yes, I identify with the job that I do out in you know, my day job, but it's not a vocation. And there's a whole vocational aspect that's laid on top of priesthood and some other religious work as well. Exactly. And having a day job and a priestly set of duties and, you know, having been a senior druid, you know, running a shop, all of those things, as we get older, we start looking at them, taking stock and saying, how long do I want to do this? Yeah. I mean, I can speak to that a little bit because, so like one of my pretty clear vocations is teaching. Yep. Right. And I was a high school teacher for seven years um, until I hit crispy fried burnout and <laughs> could not do it anymore. 
and there, I mean, like I stuck with it a year longer than I probably should have because there was so much of my identity wrapped up in teaching. Um, and because it is something that I truly deeply enjoy doing. Um, and so there was a grieving process of losing that identity as teacher. For me, I was able to navigate it by more closely identifying the actual things I liked about teaching and finding them in another job. So like most of my teaching vocation has moved into my religious work where it crosses over with like my mentorship vocation. Um, but the, that identity of teacher is still a very big part of me. And I like, so I can see how it would be really hard if you did not find a new outlet for a vocation you still have, but for whatever reason you can't do the job of that identity anymore. Yeah. And it's been, it's very clear to me what I see when when I look at what you do and and the kind of work that you do, like I can, I can still see the teacher. Oh yeah. (laughs) It it is right there. It's front and center. And yes, your vocation is still alive and very well uh, in your, your work as, uh, as a priest, as VAD, as, you know, a, a parent, all of those things, I, I see it every day. I see it as a scout leader. Even um, you, you're well prepared, well planned for things. You're moving people through difficult subjects. It's it's all there. It is all yeah, there. But and there, but there, I'm testing them. There was a <laughs> grieving process of like losing that and yeah. going through the process of making the decision to actually quit. You know, and then all wrapped up with the, the shame of quitting something that it, it is a whole like thing. It is. Um. <laughs> and I think that any healthy growth, any healthy set of relationships is going to go through those processes from time to time. Uh, I know that within ADF, my own journey has been punctuated by leaving things that I have found very dear, very fulfilling, moving on to new things, leaving those things, uh, and and kind of working my way through a variety of seasons in our work. And I find them all fulfilling. I find them all fulfilling in different ways. Uh, But the movement from thing to thing has also helped me kind of solidify what I I really want to do with those things, which has been an interesting experience. So I worked with Six Night Grove out of Dayton for two years, three years, four years. I don't actually know how long it was. Uh, I, I started in college. Like, I would go to stuff when I was in college. And so it was probably about four years that I was doing stuff with, with that triumvirate of groves down in Cincinnati, Dayton area. We worked together very closely. And none of whom are still here. But at some point or another, I took a look at this and I said, you know what? It's time for me to move on and do something different. And so I branched out and started Free Grades. And we started doing stuff our own way. Very wrong, mind you, but <laughs> our own way. <laughs> and I, I was the Grove organizer of that for a little while and moved rather seamlessly into senior 
So I was senior druid from uh, for four years. And then I looked at what I was doing and I said, you know what? I don't need to be doing this anymore. I need to do something different. And so I stepped away from that senior druid work and had to refine my footing because I'd handed this over to a group of people, a group of officers that I trusted. And I had to trust that they were going to do the work in a way that benefited all of us, not necessarily in the way that I had been doing it. And they did it differently. And it was good, you know? And then I became an ADF priest. And I started doing that kind of work. And I was very much a grove priest for a very long time. And then I kind of moved off from that and I've started doing other things as well. Um, I remain a grove priest. I'm going to remain a grove priest, I think, for a very long time. But the way that I interact with the growth has definitely shifted. Each of those shifts has been a different recognition that I can do things differently, that I should do things differently, um, and a movement into something different. And that's been, that has been its own sort of joyful work. Yeah, it's it's interesting because some of, I think some of what I took with me from leaving teaching was A, a better sense of my own boundaries mm-hmm. and like what I can and cannot do. But that led me to... I guess kind of another aspect of the teaching vocation, which is, and people have been like, why are you doing this? I I get a lot of, that's very weird. But as soon as I step into a position, like new position, um, the first thing I do is start writing an an SOP for it. Like I start writing down literally everything I do so that when it's time to pass it on, it's very easy to just Hand hand it off. Um, or, you know, if life happens and someone has to take it over, like then there's documentation. So they're not starting blind and like from square one, they at least have something to look at. Um, so like I did that when I became initiate preceptor, like the first thing I did was I have a whole document of like the steps to do everything and the email responses that go to people and how to fill in the forms and all of it is all written down so that when someone else is ready to take that over, it's there. All the documentation is there for it already. I've started doing it with the new ADF blog. Like the first thing I did was I started writing, okay, well, what are our steps that we're going to do to, to make this happen so that A, I can bring on collaborators, but B, when someone else is ready to take that on, it can just happen. Um, and, and the whole idea of like you moving from uh, like position to position is wrapped up for me in the idea of like succession planning and the mentorship of just watching people and seeing who's going to be good at what thing and opening opportunities for them to step into that before you have to chuck them into it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that you and I do that a little bit differently. I, I am full of trust for people when I hand them stuff. And I'm like, you know, maybe this is something great for you. Maybe it's not, but I trust you to do it. And I think you may be a little bit more picky about who you hand stuff to. And that's okay. I am. I There's think. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, 
but it's just it's a style thing I think between the two yeah. of us so uh, and it's not there's a little bit of 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 like oh that's my my baby my pet project there's a little bit of that but I think it is more often the case that when I reach the point where I'm willing to like give it wings then I I want to make sure that it goes to someone who has that passion and that skill set. So when you do that, because we're talking about kind of being wrapped up in our identities mm-hmm. here, how, how does that feel to you? What, what does it feel like to, to give over a portion of that identity to somebody else and let them run with it? Um, in most cases so far, it has been very... Um, it's compersion, right? Is when you feel happy because other people are having happy things, right? So it feels like that. Um, I'm thinking right now, because Mike's in the car with us, like Missy passed Grove Bard to me and I had it for quite a while and I passed it to Mike. And so that identity, like I, part of it was I needed to move more into pre-stain and I could not do that simultaneously with barding and so I had somewhere else to go to fill the same like emotional needs in myself and had someone who I could trust to just handle it yeah and so that it like yes there was a pickiness about it but I mean certain things require certain skill sets I'm, I'm not gonna they do and so I trust like the people I choose to trust to do these things are the people who I know can do them, even if they don't like in this case, I think Mike knew he could do it, but, um, (laughs) but there have been instances where people may not believe that they can do it, but if I've seen it in them, then I'm like, okay, here, you know, and make myself available for consult if they want it. But, uh, sometimes you hear that train coming, coming around the bend. Yes. (laughs) Well, it's interesting to hear you talk about making sure that you have somebody in position right to do that because my life has been fairly busy lately mm-hmm. and there have been times when it would be nice to set down some of the bardic work and there really isn't somebody who's yeah. currently in that position for me yeah I mean like but you handed some of it back to me yeah 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 but I also I also think I'm not ready to give up that chunk of the identity yet either so it's not a problem per se but I think those two things have to come in tandem. And I think that's where some of them, there's always going to be some mourning, right? When you're making that change. But I think the mourning can be more when those two elements aren't in alignment, right? Mm-hmm. If you're not ready to retire from something, but you have to for whatever reason. Yeah. Or if you're ready to retire, but there's not somebody that you're sure will pick up the work you've been doing, then that's also a, a more troubling situation to be in yeah and that does happen oh yeah where where you're just like i'm done but i don't know who to give this to i mean you see that when when groves or other um other like covens or whatever in the pagan spiritual community you see that when the founders or initial leaders of that group are done yeah. they're yep. spent or life happened or they move or whatever and the spiritual community folds mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Because there was no one to pick it up. Yes. And I think that's part of why even when we are comfortable and we are prepared and we are wanting to hold on to something uh, because we're not done with it yet, I think that we need to do whatever we can to identify people who can't oh, take yeah. over at some point. You know, not today, not tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I like Down the road. Uh, you know, I've got... I've got a couple people in mind who I think would be good as initiate preceptor for when I'm ready to pass that. Um, but it, I mean, it, it doesn't have to be a, a soon thing. Yeah. Um, well, it can also be a, a very, uh, uh, I can't use words, uh, crossfading like in music, yes. right? You know, yeah. If you've got somebody who can become the deputy or the assistant or whatever, and then both they are training up and yeah. also you're lessening your workload on on the work that's being done there. Mm-hmm. Everybody benefits. It's developmental. It is indeed. And I've known Groves to go a long time with one senior druid or maybe the first senior druid steps down but the next one is there for ever, you know? And I've known Groves to have difficulty transitioning because the person that they tap to lead doesn't want to lead after XYZ number of years or whatever it is with one would expect them to be ready. And that's hard. That's really hard to watch something that you, you love not have someone else who's willing to take up the mantle or willing to move on with it um, when you're done. Especially if you've tried to train somebody to do it and they just don't um, <laughs> and sometimes I mean we've talked about it on this podcast before sometimes life just gets in the way and, and it either happens or it doesn't mm-hmm. like I had twins just about the point where you were coming right into that whole priesting thing and I was yep. like well good luck <laughs> you get a nap for a minute I'll, I'll be back eventually um and Never mind that I had a four-month-old. I mean, yes, but you only had one. <laughs> details, details, details. details. Um, but no, the, uh, the 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 willingness to to step back and let it let it figure itself out sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I think you great. you had the benefit there that I had already started doing that work. Yep, and you needing to step like you the act of you stepping back opened it so that I could completely take it on yes but you knew that I was already doing it I did so and I had faith that you were going to be able to actually take it, it on yeah um and we talked about that in advance of your ordination even about no you're competent to do this I don't care what the impression is that you get from the clergy council because you're not being <laughs> ordained right now. Yeah. And they're not letting you in on things. Here's the thing. I trust you. I know you can do this. And you've got my blessing to do what you need to do to make it work. Yeah. And, and hopefully that was I was it. very clear about that. You were. <laughs> it was just a really rough six months. And I'm very glad they fixed that process because nobody else should have to go through that. Yeah. And um, for reference, that particular process involved 
It had to do with when your ceremonial ordination was and when your ordination on paper was. And so I wasn't able to be on the the listserv and be part of the clergy council community until my ceremonial ordination. But I had all the rights of a priest six months prior. Yes. And it was was a failure to integrate as well. Yeah, it was just like... it was. It was totally bureaucratic, and yes. I'm glad it's fixed, because yes. no one else should have to do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, that figuring out that sort of work was was key, I think, to, to making that work. And it, it really does come back around to that notion, for me, of, of trust. The culture of trust that we try to build, and the experience that we try and have within our growth is... All right, you did the work. We trust that you can do the thing. Do the thing that you did all the work for, you know? Yeah. And my hope is that helps us on both ends of, of the spectrum, you know, not only in at some point or another being able to shave off some of that identity and say, I'm not ready to do this anymore, but I've got another person who can do it, but also in creating the identity in the first place. Hmm. in helping someone say yes I am actually a priest or yes I am actually combat the imposter syndrome a little bit yes (laughs) because it's it's a big thing and I think it may play into the notion that all this stuff is is bound up in in who I am and if I let it go what is left yeah and well and I I don't even think it's if I let it go what's left it's if I let it go, was I faking it the whole time? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it could be that too. <laughs> and let me tell you, if you've done something for how long have I been doing this now? Uh, almost. Almost 20 years. Almost 20 years. It's 2006. It's 2013. Or 2023 now. Um, so, yeah, I'm just a few years short of 20 years. Um, hard even at this point to, to say do I know what I'm doing? <laughs> Am I sure I know what I'm doing? Could I do this better? I'm sure, I'm sure I could do this better. I'm sure someone else could do it better than I'm doing it. And yet I'm here I am doing it. always sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, my biggest thing is I, I forget that I know things until someone asks me questions and then I start answering and I'm like, oh, right. <laughs> I so have you conf- need more questions. I, mean, I have confidences. <laughs> I just don't know what they are off the top of my head. <laughs> so ask Jen more questions. Ask me Got more it. questions. Yeah. Love it. But, I mean, you, you do this thing for 20 years or whatever, 30 years or whatever it might be, and it is entirely possible to have no idea if you knew what you were doing for that entire period of time. Um, I mean, heck, in my, in my day job, sometimes I look at it and I'm like, really? They trust me? I was like, who trusted stuff? me to do this? <laughs> yeah. How many millions of dollars am I working with? And they trust me? Really? Um, but they trust me for a reason. I have results. I can show them. I can lay them out on a sheet of paper if I really want to. I hate doing it. But if I really want to, I could. Um, And the fact that they trust me to do it tells me that I'm doing it right in many ways. So I 
to wrap this kind of back around a little bit, yeah. I I harp on clergy councils continuing education often because it's it's not it is not a professional development type of continuing ed. Correct. It is tracking the things you've done. Yes. Which can be very valuable in building an identity because then you see, oh gosh, I actually have done all of these things. Um, and they are all different aspects of my identity and my work that I do in this job for us priesting, right? But but that is one of the like the most valuable things I've gotten out of doing that activity tracking is, oh, oh, uh, wow, I do more than I thought that I did. Yep. Um, right. and, and that has been very valuable for me. And we do that once a year. And if you follow either Jan or myself on Patreon, you'll see it around yeah. every February now because we switch things up. It used to be every October, now it's every February. Um, and it is literally a list of stuff we did. And last year I included goals because I was like... Because you're like that. Because I'm like that. Well, partly because what I was experiencing was, yes, I did a lot of things, but it didn't feel directed. You stay in the middle two lanes. And I wanted to feel directed. Yeah. You know? And I, I don't get any direction from the clergy council. And the reason for that is not because the clergy council is failing on that point. It is because... There are so many ways to priest. Exactly. And it would be so hard to give direction and not have someone... And and here's the thing. I, I think that... I think that even though bureaucratically we are terrible at showing it, <laughs> we actually do trust our priests to priests in the way that they want a priest and in the way that their vocation calls them to do so. And... We're terrible at it organizationally, but I think that is really what we're trying to do. I mean, one of the things that I loved, so last year was my first year as VAD reading everyone's reports. Yeah. And I mean, like I responded individually to every person because everybody was doing really cool stuff. <laughs> and so most of them were like, this is really cool. You should actually share with not just the clergy council officers, these things that you're doing, or I would love to hear more about this. And um, and, and so like trying to, to build that loop of feedback as well of like, I see you, you're doing good things. Yes. Um, which is sadly something that has generally been missing. Um, and we're trying. Yeah. We, we continue to try. We're not really good at it, but that's okay. We're trying. I have made it my job now, so. I, I appreciate your job. <laughs> I mean, for, for a couple of years... I don't know, three or four years ago, I started actually, I started writing letters of recommendation for priests who wanted them. Uh, and that was, that was fascinating. I got to go back and I got to do what you're doing, which is try and figure out what they've been doing. Yeah. Because I was doing it without the report in front of me. Mm-hmm. And so I was going to blogs. I was, you know, shooting, shooting people notes and saying, you know, what, what's the project you're most proud of? That kind of thing. And I really enjoyed putting those together because mostly because it let me really dig into what they were doing. And our priests do some amazing things. And I want to see more of it. I want to see I want to see what they're doing. I want to see how they're doing it. Stay in um, the left lane. I, I want 
spontaneous to recognize mm -hmm. the work that they're doing on behalf of the organ, on behalf of the folk, and on behalf of the spirits. And just getting to go through that stuff was exceptional. And so my, my hope is that as we go through this process every year, uh, we as a council recognize more about what we're doing mm -hmm. and find ways to support each other in new and fascinating processes. Yeah. Um, because I think that that helps. I mean, when we talk about retirement, we talk about leaving stuff behind, we talk about uh, eventually exiting our priestly experience, because we all should. We, we may die in ritual, standing, <laughs> standing before the gods at the fire, but here's the thing. Uh, we should have the choice as to whether or not to do that. And we should think about it. We should seriously consider it and figure out if that's the best way for us to, to do this. Or whether retiring earlier and enjoying ourselves and enjoying our families and and enjoying the small slices of vocation that yeah. that you could really focus on and remain without having to pick up all the extra pieces of priesting that exist. Yes. I, I don't want to have to run a grove right. until I die. <laughs> I would rather be there for my grove yeah. until I die. <laughs> and, and you can't... Some people may be able to do both. Some people may be able to, to run the Grove and be there for the Grove the whole time. Well, but that's a totally different vocation, and that is not yours. It is. And <laughs> like... It is. And, and that's the thing. We, 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 all deserve, we all deserve the right and the ability to look at what we're doing and say, yeah, this feeds me, or this really doesn't. Yeah. And we need more ways to express that uh, in particular with an eye to how do we let it go how do we retain the pieces that we want and how do we how do we move on from what we've been doing for 10, 15, 30 years thanks for listening and there's more to come we welcome your ideas and questions. If there's something you would like to hear us discuss in a future episode, please drop us a line at druidsandcars at threecranes.org. If you'd like to donate, you can do so at threecranes.org slash donate. Druids and Cars Going to Festivals is a production of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. Our theme song's lyrics were written by Arthur Shipkowski, and the music is written and recorded by Mike Beershank. Learn more about our grove at threecranes.org and more about druidry at ADF.org. As always, keep circulating the tapes and let us pray with a good fire.